Hey everyone, it's Julie Coley with History and Murders in Wichita Falls. We're going to go a little different direction today, and I'm going to talk about some burials in Riverside Cemetery, and I'm going to talk about the Civil War. Apparently, there have been some people protesting here in Wichita Falls to take down the Civil War memorial that was built in 1934 and erected at Memorial Auditorium. And there's even some people who are threatening to smash it with sledgehammers. So this is just a little story, a little education about the Civil War veterans that lived here in Wichita Falls. So let's get started. So before I get started today, I just want to say that the opinions that I'll be expressing here are my own. As an historian, I truly believe in preserving historical items uh, and the history of those items so that future generations can, can either admire it or they can learn from it. I mean, that's what history is all about. So to get started, I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Lee McMurtry. And there's a tiny little headstone that belongs to a man who has been forgotten in Wichita Falls history. Not only was he a former sheriff of Wichita County, but he was also one of Quantrell's Raiders. Now, y'all need to Google this and learn about Quantrell's Raiders if you don't know about it. This guerrilla band of men from Missouri, which numbered about 200 men when it began, often operated outside the scope of the government and burned out houses and killed hundreds of Union forces. Some of its members were Levi Boone, Lee McMurtry, the man buried in Riverside Cemetery with a little bitty headstone. Um, there was also Frank and Jesse James the younger boys, and Alan Palmer, who was the James boys' brother-in-law. On one of their last raids, when Quantrell was wounded and died a short time later, they were dressed in Union uniforms and went along posing as Union soldiers. One day, they were in a Union camp and decided that they needed new horses. So, as they were leaving with these new horses, Major Houston, a Union officer, tried to grab the reins of Alan Palmer's horse. And in the mix-up, Palmer said, Major Houston was accidentally killed. After this, the Union soldiers were after Quantrell and his men. Later in 1865, they caught up with the group and they shot and wounded Quantrell. He died six weeks later. When it was all over, there were 16 surviving members out of the 200 original members who were paroled from the war at Samuels Depot, Nelson County, Kentucky, July 26, 1865. Now, a report in the Wichita Daily, Daily Times 
at the time of McMurtry's death in 1908, stated that after the war, a $10,000 reward was placed on his head while he was riding with the James Gang and fleeing into Old Mexico. But his family and Alan Palmer said that this statement was not true. We will probably never know for sure if our former sheriff was at one time a member of the James Gang. Now, another burial in Riverside Cemetery is Alan Palmer. And he was married to Susan James, who was the sister of Jesse and Frank James. He was the other member of Quantrell's Raiders that I told you about a minute ago and was only 12 years old when he joined the group. After his wife Susan died in 1889 of childbirth, he remarried and was living in Alpine, Texas, which is in the Big Bend area of the state. He and his second wife had come to Wichita Falls to visit the Kemp's and Mr. and Mrs. Claude Miller, who lived at 10th and Grant. He became ill and died in their home. He was 79 years old. He always kept a photo of William Quantrill pinned inside his coat jacket. He worshipped the man. Palmer was the father of nine children, four of whom are buried here in Riverside Cemetery, and two children survived him when he died. Now, there's always been talk of if Jesse James came to Wichita Falls or not. I found two different stories about this. In a book called Pioneers Remember, Interviews from the Golden Jubilee Celebration held in Wichita Falls, Texas, September 25th, 26th, 27th, 1932, and transcribed by Mary Kirby and available for sale at the Museum of North Texas of History, Nolan Howard, the brother of Ray Howard, who once owned the local newspaper, said in the book, the old Jesse James barn stood between 8th and 9th streets on Bluff, which is the general area of where the fire station stands today. However, Judge A.H. Kerrigan wrote a story that was later found in his files all about the James boys, and he doesn't mention anything about Jesse being in Wichita Falls, but he does say that Frank James came to Wichita Falls in 1889, lived here trading in horses and cattle for four or five years, and it goes on to say that Judge Kerrigan and Frank James were intimate friends. The story goes that Frank and Jesse left Missouri in about 1878 and went to Nashville, where they rented a stock farm for a few years. Then they discovered that detectives, the Pinkerton detectives, were after them, so they left the area. Frank tried to get Jesse to go east, but Jesse said that he was going to go back to Missouri where his wife and children were. They never saw each other again. After Frank went all around the country, he was caught and tried for a robbery, acquitted, and then came to Wichita Falls. So do we believe the owner of the local paper or a well-respected judge or both? Maybe one saw him and one didn't. Guess we'll never know. I have a list here of over 140 burials of Civil War veterans 
in Riverside Cemetery. I mean, I have normal people that never made history, and I have people who made history. We've got William Skane. He was a fabric manufacturer and retail merchant in Wichita Falls. He was very important in starting businesses here in town. And he was also, it was also said of him that he was very fearless because he volunteered to go chase our bank robbers. I'll tell the story of the bank robbers another time. We have W.E. Brothers. He was a uh, city councilor and he was justice of the peace. We have, um, gosh, there's just so many men who struggled through the war for their country. Uh, there's W.T. Kemp. He's the father of J.A. Kemp, our, one of our founding fathers. He was in the Civil War. And then there's Major Robert Cobb, who headed Cobb's Battery which was an artillery battery during the Civil War. Y'all Google that one. That was pretty interesting, too. So these men didn't go in to abolish slavery. They, they didn't have a clue. They went in to fight for their country just like any soldier would today. I'll read you a couple of newspaper articles I found. And the first one was April 28, 1913. And it says, Captain Paddock speaks. His address dealt with causes of the war. 25 veterans seated on stage. It was a typical southern spring day with balmy breezes and bright skies made ideal weather for the memorial and decoration services in Wichita Falls Sunday. And a crowd that completely filled the majestic theater turned out to do honor for our veterans. The program at the theater was carried out as published in Sunday's Times, but instead of the graves of the soldiers dead in Riverside Cemetery being decorated following the services at the theater, they were decorated Sunday morning. Flowers and garlands were strewn over the graves of veterans of all, of, all wars by daughters of the Confederacy and friends of the dead at that time, the grave of every veteran known being decorated. And it goes on, goes on. Um, and then it says, on the stage with the speaker were seated 25 veterans of the Confederacy, members of companies from nearly every state of the Confederacy. Seated with the audience were several veterans who fought on the opposite side in the war between the states. Goes on, talk about the musical program, the vocal solos, you know, this was a big production back then. And then Captain Paddock, at the beginning of his address, stated frankly that his talk would be confined mainly to a recital of facts from history for the purpose of showing that the soldiers of the Confederacy were morally and legally right in the cause for which they fought and that their course was fully justified. He said if they had not been right, that it would have been proper to decorate their graves and remember their brave deeds in silence. But that if they were right, then, then it is right and proper in public 
to say that we are doing honor to the dead and to the living veterans and wish the world to know that their deeds are enshrined in our hearts and memory, never to be effaced. He goes on, goes on, and then he recited from history and historical documents facts to show that slavery was not the cause of the war, but that it was caused by a challenge of the sovereign rights of the states. He quoted from history to show that action against the slave trade and against slavery began in the South and enlisted more support in the South in its inception than in the North. Okay, I'm going to reread that. He quoted to show that action against the slave trade and against slavery began in the South and enlisted more support in the South in its inception than in the North. While the principle of a right of a sovereign state to secede was first enunciated in the North and had its earliest support in that section. He paid fitting tribute to the dauntless courage and endurance to the soldiers of the Southland, who outnumbered nearly four to one, with, withstood forces with superior resources for more than four years. And then he goes on in that article. That article was dated 1913. Now I have an article from March 19th, 1915. I just want to show you how important it was in that time to, to honor our veterans of whatever war, to honor our veterans. And the UDC members hostess to sons and veterans, an expression of appreciation and regard for the Confederate veterans of this community was given Monday by the Daughters of the Confederacy. Now, when they did these things, they had people come up and sing. They had a violinist. They had a band. They had a patriotic poem by young children. This was not the 4th of July. This was Decoration Day to celebrate our veterans. Judge Scurry made a talk, especially to the sons and grandsons, of which there were about 50 present. And as a sacred heritage of their fathers, the sons should cherish the memory of the Confederacy and honor and revere the veterans now living, Judge Scurry said. But in addition, they should show their honor of the veterans who find the struggles for their existence a hard one. Did those veterans back then have PTSD just like today? Did they struggle through the war that they were drafted into? Here's another article dated April 28, 1920. Graves of 40 Confederate dead decorated here. Tuesday, the Decoration Committee from the W.R. Scurry chapter of the Daughters of the Confederacy dated 40 graves of Confederate veterans buried in Riverside Cemetery. I mean, this went on for years. They would put wreaths and ribbons and all sorts of decorations on their graves to honor their existence.
Now, I'm going to veer away from Wichita Falls for a minute and talk about uh, my great-great-grandfather, who was in uh, who was drafted into the Civil War from Paris, Texas. And during his journey, he wrote many, many, many letters home to his wife because, frankly, that's all the men had to do during their downtime. But I'm going to go through and just read some things that he said about his time in the Civil War. I mean, many of the Southern men only knew they were fighting for their country. So he says, again, I tell you, I do not mind the hardships of a soldier's life. These I am willing to undergo and do it cheerfully for the good of my beloved country. Another thing he says, it will take 12 months long to roll around and then how glad I will be. I will then have discharged my duty. I never wish to be called a coward or Tory. Be quiet, dear. Do your duty like a brave, patriotic woman. These times will not be last always. And when I return, I want to see a bright eye and cheek. It is pleasant to think of home and its sweets. I hope that peace may be made and we return before our time is up. Pray for me, dear. Let us go forward with a renewed vigor, trusting fully in God. May you fare well. Another time. But my country needs my services, and I am content to undergo any kind of hardships for the good of my country. And feel proud to know that I am privileged to participate in this glorious struggle for independence. Another time he says, I know that it is hard for us to be separated, but then, dear, you know that it's not because I want to be separated from you, but it is because of my country. My bleeding country needs my services. Oh, dear, you say I am not patriotic. Why not, darling? What shall we do? Our country is threatened on every side. Always the clanking of the tyrant's chain is heard. And another time, how sweetly time passed while I was with you, love. But now stern duty calls me off in the defense of my country's rights. It seems to pass slowly. Another time, do you pray to God to lend his assistance assisting hand in this matter that our country may be again free and we become a happy and independent people again I mean all of this he was talking about fighting for his country and the tyrant and our country was threatened and then suddenly in October 1962 nearly a year in he discovered the reason he is not in the war that he is in the war But no matter the reason, he is indebted to his country. Probably the same thing most veterans feel today about serving for their country. On Thursday, October 2nd, 1862, he says, Abe Lincoln has issued a proclamation setting all the Negroes free from the several states or parts of states who may be in rebellion against the United States to take effect from and after the first day of January, 1863. 
I think it is the very best thing that could be done for the South. The troops here have of the Northwestern states have time and time again said, if they believed that Lincoln's objective was to emancipate the slaves, they would have laid down their arms and quit fighting. The cry of union is now no longer made a pretext for carrying the war. But by their recent acts, the Lincoln government have shown plainly what they have in reality been fighting for all this time via the ab abolition of slaves. So they didn't know what they were fighting for. They were protecting their country. They were fighting for their country. And I'm afraid that this is something that young men, many, many young men, will not do today. I don't believe that they will enter the service and fight for their country. I just don't think it's something they would do. So what all this boils down to is we have a memorial at Memorial Auditorium that was dedicated by the W.R. Scurry chapter of the Daughters of the Confederacy. And it just simply says on it, it's very simple, in memory of the sons of our Southland, 1861 to 1865. And then below that it says, erected by the W.R. Scurry chapter number 1448, United Daughters of Confederacy, Wichita Falls, Texas, 1934. And below that it says, let this mute but eloquent structure speak to generations to come and a generation of the past. It's just simply a statue. It's not a statue that warrants to be torn down. It's not about slavery. It was about fighting for their country. Just like the men of, of the Spanish-American War did, or World War One, World War Two, Korean War, war today, everybody is fighting for their country. And that statue, in my opinion, should stand for generations to come, just like it says on the statue. Well, that's it, it for me today, guys. I am worn out, and um, next week I'm going to tell a story about a fallen officer, officer who died in the line of duty. Oh, by the way, my book called J.K. Street Civil War Letters uh, can be bought on Amazon.com. Just Google my name and put in J.K. Street, and you'll find that book, and it's all of his letters that he wrote home during the Civil War. It's really interesting. He told that, um, that he had to pay ladies $30 to make him a pair of pants or, you know, bread was so expensive. They just couldn't afford anything. It's very, very interesting to read about the times back then. So that's it for now. This is Julie Coley with History and Murders in Wichita Falls, and I will see y'all next week. I have written eight books about Wichita Falls and North Texas. I have four in a series called 
How Did They Die? Murdered in Northern Texas. One is from 1892 to 1926. One is 26 to 74. One is 54 to 2011. And then I have Murdered in the Line of Duty. So it's about officers around Texas who have been killed in the line of duty. I've also written four picture books. One is called Views of the Past, Downtown Wichita Falls. One is Views of the Past, Downtown Wichita Falls, Volume 2. One is Views of the Past, Wichita County, Texas. And the last one is called Way Back When, a picture book for kids. Y'all can get any of these books at Pickard's Universe at 10th and Indiana, Heritage Antique Mall at 15th and Lamar, and please shop locally if you live here, or you can order them on Amazon.com. Just type in my name and my books will pop up. Thank y'all.